stressed and worked up. Maybe it was when you were putting up the Christmas tree this year, if you've got one. Maybe it's a result of trying to navigate Reading traffic. That definitely stresses me out. But maybe you've been in this stressful situation and the person that you're with has tried to help calm you down and settle your frustration with these thoroughly unhelpful words. Don't stress. Just don't stress about it. Calm down. If you're anything like me, and that's happened to you, uh, then it will have one effect on you, and one effect only. Uh, And that is simply to make you more and more wound up. If someone says that to me when I'm already feeling kind of agitated, I'll just find myself getting more and more stressed and frustrated. I hate it when people do that. But if if I'm honest to you this evening, I'm not entirely innocent of that crime uh, myself. Steph and I, uh, my wife, uh, each summer go, uh, have been going away camping uh, to a a Christian uh, festival called Naturally Supernatural. And each year we go, before we, uh, before we head off, we set up our tent uh, and waterproof it again to make sure that everything's kind of in good order and that it lasts us through the week. And this last year just gone, we, we did a lot of the same things. We set up the tent and we got ourselves ready, but we were running out of time on the day that we'd set aside for the waterproofing. Uh, and I decided that we didn't really have time left to do it and that we should just leave it for when we're at the campsite. And Steph, who, if you know her, you'll realize is far more sensible than I am, uh, just knew that wouldn't be a very good idea. So she insisted that we really should uh, waterproof it. What happens if it rains? And I said, Steph, don't worry. It will be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, And unfortunately, we listened to me and not my wife and didn't waterproof our tent. And two things happened uh, this summer at uh, Natural Supernatural when we were camping. Firstly, on the run-up to Natural Supernatural, Steph didn't stop worrying. Uh, She was still worried about our unwaterproofed tent. Uh, And rightly so, because the second thing that happened is that it rained torrentially for the first three days we were on the campsite. Uh, And as a result, our tent leaked, and uh, we had a puddle in the middle of our tent. And all in all, it, it went quite badly wrong. See, the problem is my instruction to Steph not to worry didn't change her attitude, but neither did it change the weather or the waterproof nature of our slightly old tent. You see, the problem with what I said to her, the problem with any instruction like that, don't worry, don't be stressed, the problem is, is that it doesn't do any good. Those instructions aren't capable of generating and sustaining the attitudes in people that they request. And those instructions don't change our reality. Telling Steph not to worry didn't mean that it stopped raining. These instructions don't do much good, it seems. And so imagine my surprise this Christmas as we've been going through various Christmas stories at our services, I've been reading these famous passages. When I realized, perhaps afresh, that this sort of instruction appears time and time again in the Christmas story. Because if you've heard this story before, if you know this story, then you may have noticed that there's a common thread 
running through a lot of the key uh, situations and events that happen. In the biggest moments, in the, in the story about Mary and the story about Joseph and, and in the story that Penny just read for us about the shepherds, each time an angel turns up with news, they begin with a frustrating and seemingly unhelpful command. Do not be afraid. And as I hear that, Throughout the Christmas story, I can't help but ask the question, what good is this command? What good is it for the angels to tell these people not to be afraid, whether it's an unplanned pregnancy or a surprise angelic visit? It seems like the people in these stories have good reason to be afraid. And somehow making it even worse, this this command isn't limited in the Bible just to the Christmas stories. In fact, if you read through from beginning to end, you'll hear this command, do not be afraid, over 300 times, repeated time and time again to the people of God. To the people of God as they find themselves facing persecution, in slavery, at war. God tells them repeatedly, do not be afraid. And so it's got me thinking, Why is this command here? In the Christmas stories, but throughout the rest of the Bible. Why does this book, time and time again, tell us not to be afraid? What's his basis for such an outrageous command? And how is it that it seems that this command echoes not just through the pages of Scripture, but down through history, through the centuries to us today? How is it that God says to us through the pages of this book, do not be afraid? When we find ourselves in a world that seems to give us plenty of reasons to feel fear. Whether it's as you look at a world of violence, uncertainty, division, or just plain and simple human stupidity. In the midst of the chaos of the world around us, God says to us, do not be afraid. Why should we listen? It might seem crazy uh, to you, but what I think we see in this Christmas story is that God is able to back up his command to not be afraid. Because as we'll see in these stories, God's command is followed by reason. And God's reason is followed by action. God has stepped in the, into the world to deal with those things that cause us fear and instead to bring his peace. And so to see what uh, I mean, uh, I want to jump into this passage from Luke 2 and the story of the shepherds. And in verses 10 and 11, the angels say this key phrase to the shepherds. They say this, do not be afraid. There's that command, but it's followed immediately by the reason they don't need to be. They say this, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It appears that the first reason that the angels have for their listeners not to be afraid is that they come with good news. The word here for for good news is the same word from which we get our word gospel. 
The angels are saying that they have an announcement of something incredible and out of the ordinary, something remarkable and special that has happened and that God has done. And I I want you to hear what I said there. Because what the angels come with is an announcement of something that has happened. Gospel is news of an event. It's news of a historic happening. The gospel, this sort of good news, isn't just uh, instructions on a new way to live. It's not good advice and good wisdom. Put another way, the gospel is not good news. It's uh, No, that's entirely wrong. Don't listen to that bit. It is good news. Whew. Almost there. Three more sleeps. The gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is good news of something that has happened. It's not just good advice. Perhaps think of it like this. Uh, imagine you found yourself in a situation of back-breaking debt. If I was to give you good advice, that would be to go and uh, meet with a debt counsellor who would help you understand what had happened and, and how you might get yourself out of that situation. Uh, good advice would be tips on how to, to run a budget and look after your finances. And it would be uh, advice on how to save on your weekly shop. All of that stuff is good stuff to do. It's good advice. But good news would be if I came to you and told you that I'd entered the lottery on your behalf and your numbers had come up. And as a result, all of your debts were paid The problem was gone. Something had happened that has changed your situation. And what the angels come proclaiming, the gospel they come sharing, is in that second category. They come with the announcement of something that has happened and that was happening that would completely change the world for these shepherds and for everyone who followed them. There was something that had already been done, not something that they or we have to do for ourselves. And the angels go on to say exactly what that thing was. They say, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A saviour has been born. And that saviour is Messiah and Lord. Those are the words I'd like us to unpack together. Saviour, Messiah, Lord. Let's start with Saviour. In a different Christmas account uh, where we hear about the the story of Joseph around that first Christmas, uh, he is visited by an angel and, and we read that the angel says this to him. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. In uh, ancient Hebrew thought, the context of uh, this event, names had deep and significant meaning. Names spoke uh, of the deepest and truest reality behind the person or the thing that they named. And uh, this angel, this messenger from God, tells Joseph to name Mary's child Jesus. Jesus is a a special name. It it literally means God saves. 
And the reason that Joseph is meant to give Jesus this name, we're told in just those words afterwards, is because Jesus will be the means by which God will save his people from their sins. When the Bible talks about sin, the problem that Jesus comes to deal with, one of the key metaphors that it uses is that of slavery and captivity. Because what happens as a result of sin is that you and I become less and less free. It's as if each thing that we do that's out of step with God and the way that he intended the world to work, each thing we do that's out of step, it is like another link in a chain that binds us and makes us captive. I wonder if this is a helpful way to... To think about it, I, uh, Steph and I um, joined a gym recently. Um, you can tell that because we haven't stopped talking about it since we joined, and that's how you know when anyone's joined a gym, because they don't shut up about it. Anyway, we joined a, a gym recently, uh, but I've only just recently uh, been brave enough to go into the free weights section. If you've ever been to a gym or you're a member of a gym, you'll know that there's kind of the, the safe and friendly area with all the machines that I understand. And then there's the scary zone with men and women lifting heavy things that are far stronger than I am, and I don't really understand how they work. And for months, I've been on the cross trainer. It's kind of a machine where you wave your limbs around, and it probably does something. Um, and I've been looking over at the free weights with kind of envy and fear. And finally, a friend of mine who knows much more than I did, kind of took me over to the free, the free weights and taught me how uh, to use them. And I've been using the squat rack, which is the thing where you put a big bar across your back and you squat, and it's kind of, that's it really. But it's good. But the reason I haven't done it yet is because I knew if I tried to do it without having proper instruction, all that would happen is that I would hurt myself and quite possibly the people around me. Instead of doing what the squat rack's meant to do, which is kind of make me stronger and healthier. And, you know, I was always free to use the squat rack. And in my freedom, I could have gone up and used it and done so incorrectly and hurt myself. And in doing so, in injuring myself, made myself in the long run less free, less capable to use that machine and and carry on in the gym. Ultimately, if I'd done that, as I said, I would have hurt myself and I would have hurt my relationship with the gym as I threw their weights around and broke it. And Anyway, I didn't do that. But I was free to if I wanted to. I was free to use it incorrectly. And I think the squat rack is kind of like life. And it's at this point I realized I've stretched the metaphor a bit far, but stick with me for a moment. Because sin is like using the squat rack in the wrong way. In a way, it was never intended to be used. And as a result, hurting yourself in the process. Whereas a life of obedience to God is like using it within the constraints it was designed to be used. With wisdom and care and as a result, enjoying all of the benefits that come with using it properly. But the problem with life, I think we all know is that we don't always get it right. But more often than not, it seems you and I get it wrong. If we're honest and look inside of ourselves with clarity and truthfulness, what I think each of us will see 
what we'll be able to admit to ourselves is that we don't live life in the way it's meant to be lived. We choose greed instead of generosity, anger instead of kindness, self-centeredness instead of humility. And every time we do that, we damage ourselves in small ways or big. We damage ourselves and we damage the people around us. We damage our hearts and our minds. We damage our relationship with God and with one another. And that's what sin is. That's what sin is and the consequences of sin. And it's touched each one of us. But the angel comes bearing good news. Something has happened. And it's news the angel tells to Joseph and to the shepherds. A saviour has been born. Someone who will rescue them from the damage that they've caused and that's been done by others. A saviour who will bring an end to the damage being done, but importantly will also reverse it. Because this saviour, this Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us is a saviour who comes not just to right wrongs and to stop them, but to heal the hurt of the wrongs that have already been done. And so as in this Advent season, we remember not only when Jesus came the first time as an infant in Bethlehem, but we also look forward to when Jesus will come again finally as King and Lord fully. We can look ahead to the end of the story and see what it is this Savior is working towards. And the book of Revelation says this, It's talking about Jesus. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. All those hurts, all that brokenness stopped and healed and restored by Jesus. If you've been coming for a while, you know this is the point in the sermon where I make a Lord of the Rings reference. Um, And I almost wasn't going to this evening, but uh, the people I told I wasn't going to seemed really upset, so here's the Lord of the Rings reference. Um, If you've read the books, uh, you might remember that at the end of the story of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo, who's come to the end of his terrible journey, uh, wakes up, and finds Gandalf, who he thought was dead, at the end of his bed. And Frodo says these words. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can answer Frodo's question with an emphatic yes. All the hurt all the brokenness, all the damage and pain of our sin and the sin of others will be undone and healed because our Savior, Jesus Christ, has come and is coming. Your worst mistakes don't define you. That person who caused you so much hurt doesn't get the last word over your life. Do not be afraid. 
the Savior has been born. The angels tell us not to be afraid because something has happened. The Savior has been born, one who will deal with our sin. Jesus is here. But the angels have more good news. They say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This child, this Jesus is not only our savior, but the angel says and the Bible confirms time and time again that he will be Messiah and Lord. These two words basically mean that Jesus is a specially appointed, divinely capable ruler and king who's capable not only of dealing with our sin and their damaging effects over the world, but also he is capable as a king and ruler to build a new and better world out of the rubble of the one around us. Through all of our mistakes, through the places we go wrong, Jesus, our King, can take that and build something beautiful. In a world of uncertainty when it comes to our leaders, this Christmas we're reminded that there is a leader above them all, a King of kings and Lord of lords. And I love uh, the way that another famous Christmas passage describes what kind of king Jesus is. Isaiah 9 says this about him. It says, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Another way to translate wonderful counselor would be to say that Jesus is a wonder working planner. He's the sort of king who is able to make good plans for his people and bring them into effect. He's the mighty God. That means he has the power and authority as the creator God himself to make his good plans for his people come to pass. Jesus can build the future that he has plans for for his people. And all this power and wisdom is held by the one who calls himself Everlasting Father. Our King loves us with the care and affection of a good, perfect Father. And that care and love will never end. This Father father will never walk out on us. He's there for the long haul. And the world our loving King is building is one of peace. And it's a peace that's more than the absence of conflict, but it's the active and powerful presence of blessing and joy and well-being, harmony, wholeness, fairness, nourishment, growth, love. The kingdom that our king is building is a world of goodness, a world of peace. The future that Jesus has in store is glorious. And so today, as we head towards Christmas, I believe the word of the Lord to us is this. You don't need to be afraid. If you don't know what the future holds, and none of us do, 
If you look at the state of the world and are filled with anxiety, if you feel like everything in your life is out of control, do not be afraid. It seems like an insane request. And if it was just me up here telling you to do it, then it would be. But it's not. Because it's a request that's built upon God's good news. Something has already happened. I have no requirement or request or homework to lay upon you this evening. There's nothing for you to do. Because God has already done it. A saviour, your saviour, has been born. The one who can deal with all the mess of your past and the hurt of your mistakes. The one who can forgive you and heal you and set you free can be known. And his name is Jesus. And this very same Jesus who would die for you to set you free is the king of the whole world. And he's going to bring about his kingdom with perfect vision and power and love. That beautiful kingdom is the future that he has in store for you. It's a chapter in your story, but it's also a present reality that he is building and he invites you to step into today. And so Jesus, the king of this kingdom, our saviour says, do not be afraid. It's to trust him as saviour. Receive him in faith as king. Dwell with him by his spirit. And let him fill you with his peace that the Bible says passes all understanding and his love that casts out fear. And so tonight I have no pithy take home, but perhaps an invitation in the midst of a world where the command to not fear seems crazy to come and receive Jesus and see how your saviour and king might work in your life. And so we're going to pray now and invite God for those who want it to come by his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, to come and minister to us in the places where we might feel fear. So can I invite you to stand if you're able band's going to come up and join me and I'm, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer because I mean I really have nothing that I can do for you if you're afraid if you feel fear if you're filled with anxiety I can't do anything but I believe and trust that Jesus can and that he's here and he longs to meet with you so if you feel fear about anything and you want to respond to God's command do not be afraid now, then I'm going to pray and can I just encourage you to, to, however this looks for you, to receive the Spirit. As I pray, you might find it helpful to, to kneel, as we've been thinking about tonight, to reflect in your body what we're praying, to put your hands out, to close your eyes, 
And we're just going to have some space and allow God to minister to us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Savior and King. And that because of all you've done, we don't need to be afraid. And God, I thank you that you don't just push our fears to one side. God, thank you that you don't take them lightly, but that you take them so seriously that you came to the world to be with us and to deal with them. And so, Lord, for those of us who are afraid, for my brothers and sisters who are filled with anxiety, God, we say now we don't ignore our fears to come to you, but we bring them to you now and ask you, Savior and King, to fill us with your love that casts out fear. And so Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, come and fill us now, we pray. We wait for you as you work.